Taking a look at what's happening overseas and how it might impact us eventually. Well, not it might, it will, if it's not already. All of us have seen the horror stories about the current situation in India right now. Um, hundreds of people dying every hour, a health system completely overwhelmed, the casualty count so staggering that uh, crematoriums being used around the clock and they aren't even close to keeping up to the demand. Um, here's the latest from uh, on the ground in India. But experts warn the true numbers are likely much higher. We have patients who are waiting here for two days. They're not finding any hospital. They just wanted oxygen because their doctor has advised they have, there's no medical facility, proper facility. A crippling oxygen shortage and overflowing hospitals causing apocalyptic scenes. Waves of sick people seemingly passed out lying on the sidewalk. Family using any space they can to help loved ones, patient after patient, gasping for air, begging for medical assistance. The death toll in India has passed 200,000 now. The health ministry reporting nearly 3,300 more deaths today. It is an absolute catastrophe. And, you know, I think as Canadians, we feel a moral and an ethical responsibility to do what we can to help our fellow man. But it's more important that for a lot of us, you know, when we see this, it happened in New York, it happened in Italy, it happened in France, Brazil. Uh, When this happens, uh, it's frightening and uh, it's heartbreaking, but they seem, it seems far away. I think for a lot of people, it's sort of it's something that's happening somewhere else. Understandably, we're very wrapped up in what's happening here where we live. But what's happening in India should be important to all of us in Canada, not just for moral and ethical reasons. There's other things here. It will impact us. That is the position in a recent opinion piece for uh, the Globe and Mail, written by four doctors and educators of Indian descent who are watching with horror the scenes that are unfolding in India. Ananya Tina Banerjee is one of the authors of this piece, and uh, she joins us now. Ananya, thanks so much for taking some time this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. It's it's lovely to be with you. Um, when we take a look at what's going on there, and we see the reports of what it's just it's it's hard to really comprehend. Um, you know, as someone with ties to that part of the world, just tell us what you're seeing, what you're hearing, and how difficult that has been for you. It's been devastating for me in the last few days, and it hasn't even been a week yet. And I've been fortunate to be part of an incredible global coalition of scientists, uh, policymakers, engineers from all across the world of Indian descent coming together. And we have been meeting every evening. And I have to say, during these meetings, when we're talking to the doctors on the ground in India, you know, the reports every day just keeps getting worse. And the cases that are surging, it's essentially like a rocket. It is just shooting straight up and getting higher and higher in terms of new cases and deaths. When you talk to the doctors in India that are trying to do what they can, what are they telling you? What is the situation like from the people working on the front lines there? They are officially burnt out. The emotional toll that they're experiencing is unbelievable. And at the same time, just doing all that they can for their patients. And so they are repeatedly talking about the fact that, you know, the health system, particularly in Delhi, has officially collapsed. They, the hospitals are just maxed to its peak. There are some hospitals that, as you know, um, have officially um do not have access to oxygen or do they have very limited amount of oxygen. 
So they were saying how there are 70 patients that are sharing seven oxygen units. And to hear that is heartbreaking. And the worst is the thousands of patients outside medical facilities who are short of breath and trying so desperately to get a bed and get access to oxygen. And many of them, by the time they even get a bed and oxygen is being administered to them, it's too late. They they die within minutes. And people are being treated in rickshaws, in their cars, on the street. And it's, you know, it's just really, really devastating how, you know, lives are being taken needlessly by the virus. Yeah, it's it really is uh, hard to even comprehend. Now, of course, the Canadian government has pledged to help. Other governments have pledged to help. But... Um, Time is of the essence here. I mean, this cannot happen quickly enough, obviously. Uh, In terms of what the Canadian government is doing, um, what are your thoughts in terms of how they're stepping up, and is it enough, and is it fast enough? It's really frustrating to see the Canadian government's response to the situation in India. First of all, you know, their priority was a travel ban. And then finally, after much public pressure, they had announced uh, yesterday that Trudeau will be sending $10 million through the Canadian Red Cross uh, to the Indian Red Cross to primarily fund ambulance services and purchasing personal protective equipment. When you talk to doctors in India, what they desperately need is oxygen and oxygen tanks and concentrators and portable oxygen units, particularly for rural areas of India. And $10 million is honestly nothing. It's going to make a very little difference to help India right now in terms of just the rates that are going up. And I'm very disappointed uh, in the Indian government right now, and especially that they weren't able to respond quickly and the fact they quote-unquote said we are on standby. And, you know, to me, that just seems that they're not prioritizing India right now at all in their agenda. And that's very short-sighted in a lot of different respects, not just, as I said many times, because of the moral and ethical responsibility, but just because of the fact that what that situation in India is not going to be confined to India. What's happening there will have global implications, and it will affect us here in Canada, correct? Absolutely. As you know, India is, you know, the global hub of vaccine manufacturing and distribution. And so as a result, they have to now focus on, you know, producing enough vaccines because the only way out of the second wave in India is to do mass vaccination. And to this point, they've only been able to vaccinate 10% of their population, which is 127 million people um, who have just received the first dose. And so until the situation is controlled in India, globally, we are all at risk because there are going to be new variants emerging. There is possibility that they're going to be, you know, spreading across the world. And also India, you know, they are, as I said, the global hub for vaccine distribution. And I really, I am worried to see what's to come in not just the weeks, but months. Yeah, exactly. The long-term ramifications of this will be huge. Um, You know, we can't, uh, overstate just how deep the ties are between Canada and India either. We have uh, over a million Canadians of Indian descent living here, so um, there's that connection as well, right? There's a lot of Canadians that are feeling this on a very, very personal level. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And, you know, Canadians are one of the biggest immigrant groups in Canada, you know, for decades now who have contributed so much to the economy of Canada. And so that's why we were really frustrated as, you know, this all started to unfold and seeing Canada's response, just given not how much all of us have done for this country, but also the strong, you know, economic Mm -hmm. ties that, you know, exist between the two countries. And I think, you know, it's been really hard for a lot of us here. And as you know, South Asians have also been very vulnerable to the coronavirus in Canada. And we are also battling the third wave here. Understanding a high proportion of South Asians in Canada are also, you know, working in precarious jobs. They're essential workers. We know that the vaccination rollout has been very inequitable in terms of racialized communities weren't prioritized um, in the beginning and things are starting to get a little better um, but you can imagine what you know a majority of people in, in, from India and Canada are going through right now because simultaneously they're battling two yes. major waves of the pandemic and you mentioned the two major waves and I think that is it's a dilemma for a lot of people. Let's be honest about it here. We do want to make sure that we take care of Canada too, right? We have major incidents going on in Ontario and Alberta uh, and other parts of the country right now. Uh, the Maritimes bringing in a lockdown. They're seeing case numbers they haven't seen in a long time. So we have our own issues to deal with here. Um, how, how, do you, how do you square that circle? How do you get both those things happening at the same time? Because there is an argument to be made for it. We've got to take care of ourselves first and then we can help other people. Absolutely. I I completely agree. I think, you know, I think first, you know, Canada is actually still currently uh, talking to India and trying to see if, you know, the remaining 1.5 million AstraZeneca doses from India Serum Institute will be arriving. Uh, To date, we know there is 500,000 that have been shipped. I think the first step is Canada not take the 1.5 million doses from India just because they need it and really rely on more from the U.S. and European nations to bring the vaccines as fast as we can from Canada. I think this also circles back to the fact that, you know, Canada's refusal as as along with the U.S. and the European Union is that they're not supporting the 100 developing countries in their efforts efforts to rapidly mass produce vaccine doses. And they really need to be part of the intellectual patent waiver for the vaccines. It's completely inequitable, the fact that there are so many developing countries that are unable to produce their vaccines Mm -hmm. on their own. And really, to get through this, each country needs to be responsible for manufacturing and distributing their vaccines among their own population. That's that's the key to ending this pandemic and not relying on countries such as India to be responsible for, you know, globally... um, distributing the vaccines when they're in a crisis in themselves and India really at this point needs to put themselves first and their citizens and we need to really step up and you know really put pressure on the World Trade Organization to expand vaccine production and relax the patents in an effort to swing the pendulum away from the wealthy countries uh, which have essentially hoarded most of the vaccines globally and it's predicted that 85 low-income countries won't receive any vaccines until 2023 because 
they just don't have any means to make the to Pfizer acquire. or AstraZeneca no, or Johnson & Johnson vaccine. That's extremely unfair, and it really just shows that politics and capitalism um, is more of a priority than people's lives globally. We're not working together. And it won't be over until it's over everywhere. That's the other consideration. So, Absolutely. Um, we have to be aware of that. Uh, thank you for your time, Anani. I really appreciate it, uh, and thank you for the insight on what's going on. Thank you for having me. Please stay safe. Yeah, you too. That is Ananya Tina Banerjee, um, who put together this piece saying Canada can't turn a blind eye to the situation in India.